This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Boris Johnson is in Belfast today where he will be calling on both sides to decrease the tensions and for the DUP to go into the Northern Ireland executive as the DUP have been refusing to do this over the Northern Ireland protocol. James, how likely is it that anyone will pay any attention to what he has to say while the issues with the protocol remain? So Boris Johnson has written this kind of 2,000 word essay for the Belfast Telegraph setting out kind of his issues with the protocol. And I think it is fair to say that the tone of this is different from some of the mood music that has been coming out of the UK government. It is more, well, how do we solve this problem that we can't get the institutions up and running because there isn't cross-community consent for the protocol? We're prepared to carry on talking. Although he doesn't resign from the idea of unilaterally legislating to disapply parts of the protocol, you know, he is indicating that that is his last resort. I, I think the question here is, I think this legislation is designed to try and get the EU to change its negotiating position, its negotiating mandate. But I think that the EU feel that, you know, they are very reluctant to do that. And they also think that as soon as they do that, the kind of the, con- the concession will be pocketed. And then more will be demanded. But I think what we can I think what we have seen in the last few days, is both sides having slightly de escalated in their rhetoric. If you think back to last week, the UK side was talking more aggressively about, you know, publishing the bill and acting unilaterally. You had the Belgian Prime Minister indicating that, you know, the EU was prepared to cancel the entire trade deal with the UK in those circumstances, uh, you know, if the UK were to actually do this. But I think what we are going to see is that this protocol argument is now going to rumble on for a, a, a year or so, I suspect. And I think we are going to basically be playing 3D or 4D chess between the negotiations to try and get the assembly up and running and the executive restored in Stormont and between the UK and the EU. With the UK trying to say, look, the reason we need changes to the protocol is we can't get devolution functioning again in Northern Ireland as per the Good Friday Agreement without these changes. Katie, James mentioned that Boris Johnson's Belfast Telegraph essay uh, was quite different in tone to some of the mood music we've heard previously. That's come from Liz Truss and Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, who've been much more gung-ho, I think it's fair to say, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Is is there a split within government between Boris Johnson and his foreign secretary, or is it that the situation is developing? I think it's a tricky one in the sense that th- there's been lots of briefing over the weekend suggesting that Liz Truss has overreached that she has been too robust in her language uh you got people saying oh you know she used to be called a human hand grenade that was her nickname and we're now seeing why she is called that and she is in charge of the protocol so it's even worse than if it was a different department then you do have to step back for a second and think well Boris Johnson did appoint Liz Truss to the Northern Ireland Protocol Brief. He didn't need to add it to the Foreign Office Brief. There wasn't the precedent in the sense that David Frost, who previously had it, had a very specific role looking after that. And then I think when you get away from the tone... 
the general direction in terms of what is happening on the protocol is pretty aligned between Foreign Office and Downing Street. It's not as though Boris Johnson is rowing back on it. I think that there is there is a difference of opinion depending who you speak to in government on how to go about this and I think there are some in number 10 so it's interesting reading all these you know, anti-foreign office briefings because they also chuck in David Canzini who is number 10 he is the deputy chief of staff in number 10 and is giving uh, well is making SPAD school interesting again I think for journalists everywhere with his robust language and I think as you mentioned there's Jacob Rees-Mogg so there's definitely a group who have been talking quite firm on this there are some in Downing Street who I think would like a softer approach there are also some in Downing Street and I would say next door if we're going to extend that to number 11 who perhaps would like a different approach on the protocol I think there are for example you know questions as to uh, you look at figures such as Michael Gove Rishi Sunak who previously you know last year in these subcommittee protocol meetings when David Frost was in post was one of the people who was most vocal in sounding caution about activating or triggering article 16 now we're now talking about unilaterally overwriting but the risk which is of EU retaliation and a trade war applied to both of those situations. So I think it is a bit of a mixed bag, but I think there is a trickiness in the sense that we can all say, oh, Boris Johnson's tone, his article is softer, and actually this is the right way to go about it. You can't really get away from the fact that no matter how you say it or how you dress it up, there'll be figures in Brussels who are just looking at this and saying, you are reneging on a commitment that you made. And whether you bark that or you uh, write a 2000 word article softly explaining that, I think that is the biggest rub. Now, clearly you can aggravate it, but I think suggesting tone is going to be what decides what the EU do on this is, is a little bit mistaken. And James, the fraught situation in Northern Ireland might actually be a, a bit of a break for Boris Johnson from his other domestic issues on the cost of living. Uh, today, Ofgem has been discussing plans to review the energy price cap quarterly rather than every six months as it is at the moment, which would mean that changes in prices would be passed on to consumers uh, more quickly. So do you think this is, is going to make a big difference in terms of the cost of living crisis? Well, I think there are two things. First of all, I think one of the reasons so many energy companies went bust was because the energy price cap was only changed every six months. So that, that, that is a long period. I mean, the worry for the government is that we are entering into an era where energy prices appear to be kind of structurally higher. I mean, there are two, two reasons for that, primarily. One is that China is moving from coal to gas. So that creates a greater demand for gas around the world. The second is is more specific to Europe, which is, you know, as Europe tries to wean itself off Russian gas, there is more competition for the other ga- gas in the European regional market, think Norwegian gas and the like, which is what the UK uses a lot of. So I, I, think, I think there are tensions there. I think this all depends how quickly energy prices come down, because obviously if energy prices start to come down next year, a quarterly price cap review will help consumers. But if energy prices continue rising, the fact that cap is going up every quarter is not going to help the government. I think it is it is worth just looking at how big these increases in the caps are. And at the moment, it's, it's very hard to see how the energy price cap doesn't suck so much consumer demand out of the economy because people are having to spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds more on their energy bills than they were previously, that you then tip the economy into recession. I mean, it is, it is, it is that big a factor. 
Katie, Jeremy Hunt has got a book out. It's about the NHS and errors that are made within what he describes as a rogue system. But he's also been talking about the rogue system within his own party as part of the interviews to sell that book. Let's find out what Jeremy Hunt thinks. Is Boris Johnson an honest man? I think that... uh... Talking about personalities is not a helpful thing to do when I've just said... It's a simple question. It's a simple question, but it's not a helpful thing to do when I've just said that I think we need to recognise the international situation is very serious and we need strong leadership from the Prime Minister we have. Yes, so the publicity trail for Jeremy Hunt's book has, as you said, seen him stray off the issue of the pandemic, the NHS, and ultimately what health strategy should be. And of course, Jeremy Hunt, who's often talked up as someone who could be a potential contender in a Tory leadership contest, and who, of course, came second in the last leadership election against Boris Johnson, has been pressed on the state of the Tory party. Now, he was speaking on BBC he won on Sunday and he refused to say that Boris Johnson is the best person to lead the government into the next election and declined to endorse the Prime Minister's honesty. I think it's worth pointing out that he also suggested that now was not the time to have a Tory leadership contest but I think there's enough space in his comments that should things change should the situation deteriorate massively he's left him enough wriggle room to to come out and say well now is the time now he said that ultimately that there were issues for the government in terms of the next election and Johnson had a mountain to climb to win many conservative core voters back I think this is interesting in the context of One of the reasons Boris Johnson has been safe, as we've documented on this podcast and this magazine, despite points when it has seemed pretty fraught for him, is the fact that no one is quite sure he replaced Boris Johnson with. Now, there are plenty on the One Nation wing of the party who I think like to talk up Jeremy Hunt and say, well, he is the opposite of Boris Johnson. He is not tarred by serving in a Boris Johnson cabinet even. And he would also be a contrast. He's also not to do a party gate. And therefore, he could be the answer. Now, While there are Jeremy Hunt devotees in the party, I think there are enough MPs who actually look at the idea of Jeremy Hunt coming in and start to think, would this person win as a fifth term, really? Maybe Boris Johnson, a wild card, could pull something out of the bag. So I think what we can take from Jeremy Hunt's comments, if he's not ruling himself out, and if the situation gets much, much worse for Boris Johnson, whether it's more fines, um, the Seagull report or something we haven't even thought about yet, could just be the state of the economy. You could well see him as a contender in a contest. I think one intriguing question about Jeremy Hunt, which he left the door open to in his interview, was whether he would, if Boris Johnson reshuffled his cabinet, an event that is always more predicted than actually happening, whether Jeremy Hunt would would accept a job if one was offered to him. Because if one was being cynical, it would suit number 10 to bind him in right now. Because as Katie said, his big thing at the moment is, and but his supporters will tell people off the record around Westminster is, look, he is a clean skin in, in the sense that he hasn't been involved in this government. If Hunt was offered a big enough job, I think it would be very hard to turn that down. I remember when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, he turned down moving from Foreign Secretary to Defence Secretary because he saw that as a kind of demotion and so wasn't inclined to accept it. But I think if if Boris Johnson were to offer Jeremy Hunt a big job now in the coming reshuffle, I think that would be a very tricky moment for Jeremy Hunt because obviously if he accepted it and went into government, he would have to say that, you know, Boris Johnson was, you know, the, the right man to be Prime Minister at this moment and all this stuff. So I think I think watch to see what happens on that front. I think because I think there are this is something that political allies of Boris Johnson are chewing on at the moment. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie, and thank you for listening.